just keep playing, Laurel. You can be seated, but stay in an attitude of worship. And listen as I read from John chapter 19, and starting at verse 14, which talks about the preparation for Passover. It says, now it was the preparation day for the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. But they cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered him to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. He, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a, of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew language Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for a place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and in Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am of the Jews. Pilate answered, What have I written? I have written, then the soldiers, what I have written, I have written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart. And also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That was the Old Testament prophecy that proclaimed exactly what the soldiers would do with his garments. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. That was John the disciple. And from that hour... That disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hesop. If you realize that's what the children of Israel used to put the blood over the doorpost in the Passover during the time of Moses. When the children of Israel were delivered from the land of Egypt, they used hyssop and they put over the doorpost the blood. And it was hyssop that was used that day to lift up sour wine to Jesus. He said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Heavenly Father, this morning, we commit our lives to you afresh, Lord, new. Lord, even as we reflect upon what the resurrection was, it was a rising. It was a rising from death to life. And Lord, the day we placed our faith in you, 
and we rose from death to life. And while we dwell in these mortal bodies, and one day we'll lay them off, Father, one day we'll be raised from the dead and receive a glorified body. And although we lay these bodies off, it is death that ends up being swallowed up by life, according to Colossians. And so, Father, uh, this morning we thank you. We thank you so much. From the bottom of our hearts, Lord, we thank you that you gave your son to die on the cross for our sins. But not only did he die on the cross, he was buried in the grave. He tasted death so we wouldn't taste it. And Lord, he rose on the third day so that we would know that there is hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is the firstborn among many, the firstborn of all who would place their faith in the work that he's done. So this morning, Father, we commit our faith in Jesus Christ afresh and new and acknowledge that it is his work that provided for us salvation, eternal life. And we thank you for that today. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, uh, we have been in a series called Revelations from Another Dimension, and uh, this is our Easter Sunday, and, and we wanted to reflect on, on Easter in a proper manner, but we're going to stay with the, the thought process, process of Revelations from Another Dimension, and uh, the Easter changed everything, and the reason why it changed everything is because there is a revelation of the resurrection. If we can grab a hold of the revelation of the resurrection, then I tell you we experience what Easter is really all about. You'll forgive me this morning. I don't know why I'm a little tongue-tied, but I am. So we'll see if we can get my tongue untied, amen? I'm sure the Holy Spirit can help me with that. You know, that's the, the worst thing for a preacher is to have one of those mornings where his tongue's just not working well. So maybe I need to do one of those practices la 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 ba 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 you know do one of those and get myself broke out of that um easter changes everything now to use that term easter changes everything i think we need to reflect on what does the word easter mean i always like to engage the audience so who can tell me what the word easter means what's the definition of the word easter someone nobody no Nobody? Nobody wants to engage this morning? No? Now, isn't it funny? We don't tend to look at We hear the word Easter. Let me, let me do it this way then. What do you think of when you hear the word Easter? Who wants to take a shot at that one? I hear Easter and I think... Oh, man, a bunch of you jumped in on that. Uh, I think Easter and what else do I think? Who said the bunny? <laughs> the bunny, the bunny, right? Uh, what else? Easter, and you start thinking about what? Candy, okay. Huh? Spring. New life, new beginnings. Those last few terms are starting to tap into some of what the word Easter actually means. Now, if I told you Easter is a term used in pagan worship, you would say, no way. Say that with me. If I say Easter is a term used in pagan worship, you would say, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so what do we do? It's like, oh my gosh, man, you can never use the term Easter anymore. Now here's the funny thing. When I ask you what the term Easter meant, what the word Easter means, none of you said, it's pagan worship, did you? Now who knew that? 
Raise your hand if you knew that. There's a few in the house that, that knew that was the case. But you didn't jump out and say, pagan worship. Why? Because you didn't get, want to get stoned, right? <laughs> if you, that's pagan worship. You're like, right? You kind of duck while you say it. Why? Because Easter to us, affectionately, in the Western culture, has become known as Resurrection Sunday. See, for me, growing up, Easter was a time, I knew the story of Jesus growing up. That story was always told on Easter. So from, in my mindset, until I study and research and understand that that was actually a pagan term used for pagan worship, it never meant anything else to me. It meant Easter Sunday, it's the time where we talk about what Jesus did for us. It's about resurrection. It's about him giving his life, being buried in a grave, and, and, and raising from the dead on the third day by the power of God. That's what it meant to me. Who would say amen? But the term Easter means uh, new beginnings. Uh, we've heard of a sunrise service. Who, who's ever been to a sunrise service before on an Easter Sunday? Uh, it actually means sunrise. What the pagans did, it was a time of worshiping fertility. Spring is here. And we're going to plant crops. And we need them to be fertile. So we're going to go and offer up worship to the goddess of fertility. On Easter, we're going to offer that up and worship her so that what will happen is, is that we will have plentiful crops, bountiful crops, and the harvest will be great as a result of the seed being fertile. And right now you're thinking, can I just go home now and eat dinner you know, or lunch? Fact, that's what Easter, the term Easter means. Now, here's the cool thing. Just as, um, if you will, all worship originated with God. Who would say amen in the house? Amen. We worship God. So what happens is, is where man becomes corrupt and begins to hijack worship and attribute that to something else, it's okay for us to hijack the term Easter and translate it into, hey, we're going to make this about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the sun, S-O-N, rose on the third day. Amen? Amen. It's not S-U-N rise, it's S-O-N rise. Come on, that was good preaching. <laughs> I really know it was. It excited me, even if it didn't excite you. Easter changes everything. Why? Easter changes everything because the sun rose from the dead on the third day. I want to go back. If you put that scripture up there, and I want to emphasize this part of the passage, and I'll go over here because I can't see over the drum cage. And it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, everything Jesus did, say everything Jesus did, was to fulfill scripture. That's, that's all he did. It was so that he would fulfill everything that was prophesied about him. Had Jesus not lived out every prophecy that had been prophesied about the Messiah in the Old Testament, I guess he wouldn't have been the Messiah. But everything Jesus did was in fulfillment of what had been proclaimed about him. So that it might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine put it on his up, and put it uh, to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, and this is the key word right here, it is, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. 
That was the moment. Now, uh, the other Gospels, what you'll find out going out around in this same uh, segment of Scripture where Jesus is giving up his spirit, where he's saying it's finished, you find him saying, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, while he had physical thirst, do you know that the sins of the world in this moment is coming upon Jesus? Because as he's taking on the sins of the world, the father is turning his back on the son. And if you remember Jesus sitting at the well with the woman, what did he tell her? Give me a drink. You don't have anything to drink from. If you knew who was speaking to you, you would have given him a drink and he would have given you to drink of the living waters. Here is our Lord and Savior in this very moment hanging on the cross. And what is going on is the sins of the world is coming upon the Son of God. One that has never thirsted. He might have thirsted physically because he was all man. Say he was all man. See, he had to be all man because to condemn sin, to put sin away, to pay the price for sin, he had to come live in that mortal body without fault so he could be the Lamb of God, that spotless Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Not covers up the sins of the world, but takes it away, removes it. Say that with me, removes his work on the cross removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, is what the Bible says. And so when Jesus is hanging there, the sin of the world has come upon him. He's the one that's telling her, I'll give you the living water, and you will not thirst again. As he's dying on a cross. And as you heard me in, in, in my prayer, Colossians declares that we will not taste death if we have placed faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done for us to take sin away, we don't taste death. The Bible says that death is swallowed up by life. That while we're living here in these mortal bodies, when we, when we put this body down, we step into a, a fullness of life that we've never known. Now, in this time, uh, if you will, uh, you think about the term Easter and all these times where the confusion starts to set in. Even in the early church, confusion started to set in because there were heretics. Say heretic. heretic. Say it again, heretic. heretic. Come on, you got to throw that tech in there, you know, heretic. <laughs> Who knows what a heretic is? What's a heretic? Who, who knows what a heretic is? Who knows what heresy is? Seriously? Who knows what heresy is? Come on, there's got to be some learned folks in the house. Doyle, what is heresy? Okay, so it would be considered false teaching. A lie. So here's what went on in that time. The Gnostics, if you will, what they did is it, their pursuit was knowledge, to know more. And during the time of the Greeks, where, where there was such great influence, in this time, the, obviously the Bible, right? The New Testament was written in what? Greek, correct? Uh, Joshua, where are you at? Our young scholar in, in Bible college, um, you are studying Hebrew and Greek, correct? How are those classes? Are they fun? Not really. <laughs> but the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. And the thing about the Greeks during this time is that they actually taught that when, when you die, there's no resurrection, of the body 
They didn't believe there was a resurrection. They believed that the soul would go on, but the body is not resurrected. The importance of a revelation of the resurrection is understanding that you will stand before God on that great and final day, right? And He means you to stand there blameless. I think it's Thessalonians that says it. Blameless. Spirit, soul, and body. That the work that Christ has done on the cross is not just a power to save you for eternity, but it's a power to work in you here and now so that you can live your life for God. See, that was another great place to say amen because that's good preaching. When we come to the place of believing that the power of, of God through the work of Christ not only saves my soul and provides everlasting life, eternal life, it is the power to live my life for Him in the here and now. Because when the resurrection comes, bodies come out of the grave. How many have been watching the zombie shows? Some of you are like, man, I'm totally into that, dude, you know? Right? And we're not going to be walking around, you know? It's not the way it's going to be. Actually, you're going to be in a better body. A glorified body is what the scriptures declare. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, if you remember, they were able to touch him physically. Who remembers Thomas? Thomas didn't believe he was alive. Thomas was like, man, unless I put my finger, unless I put my hands in the holes in his hands, right? Unless I touch that, and, or uh, unless I uh, put my finger in the holes in his hands where he's pierced, and come here, honey. I just think this is gross. Thomas just had a gross way of thinking about things. You know, I don't know what it is. Sometimes I just see things in Scripture. I'm thinking, oh, that's gross, right? Unless I put my finger in the holes in his hands, right? And I put my hand in his side where he was pierced. Hey, are you thinking right now, like, that's gross? Because I do. I think that's very gross. I like, put, stick my hand in his side where he was pierced with the spear and both blood and water flowed, correct? Unless I do that, I will not believe. And a few minutes later, or however long later, nobody really knows exactly how long it was, but Jesus just kind of, poof, he appears among them. That's another one of those moments where you're like, what? Where'd you come from, you know? And Jesus does what? He's there for one purpose. It's like, hey, doubting Thomas, go for it, baby. Right there. Thomas is doing one of these, you know, wouldn't you, uh, right? Thomas is blown away, and he has faith. But Jesus proclaims, you know, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are they who believe and have not seen. That's us, saints. We haven't put our hand in his side. We haven't put our finger in the holes in his hands. But somehow the Spirit of God has awakened us, given us a revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Easter changed everything for us. Not Easter Sunday, but the true meaning of what we all celebrate about Easter Sunday is the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed our lives. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> you go, I want to read this next scripture. I'm just going to use the screen. It's a lot easier. 
1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 23, Paul starts to, to reflect upon what Christ did in the story I just read to you. Uh, the account of, of the gospel, if you will. Paul reflects back on the gospel account. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom you, uh, or excuse me, uh, whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Meaning that, that look, if we place our faith in Christ, and this is all a farce, man, we could have just lived and had a good time. Who cares, right? Well, why would anything matter? Why be moral? Watch. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Is that it? That's it. Man, i got to read on on that. I'm sorry. Let me go to 1 Corinthians. I want to share a little bit more in there. Christ that is coming. When he returns again, the Bible talks about the graves will be open and those who remain, those of us that are still in these bodies, will be changed, transformed, in the twinkling of an eye, will be transformed into that glorified body. But those that are in the grave will be resurrected into a glorified body. Um, that was verse 23. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him. It is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And that's what the word says, that he is all in all. But there is a, there is a, a manifestation yet to come where this earth is new. There's a new heaven and there's a new earth. And all those things are gone, which has corrupted mankind. It's eradicated, no longer to exist in creation. It, the, the Bible speaks of that the earth will be purified with fire before that, that day when there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. Similar to the days of Noah. Now watch this. In the days of Noah, the earth was submerged in water, was it not? And, 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 and when the earth was submerged in that water, there's such similarity to our decision to follow Christ and not only follow him and placing our faith in him, but letting there be an outward profession of our faith and we do that when we go into water baptism. The Bible says that when we're baptized in water, it is the outward profession of our inward faith. 
And just like the earth was submerged in water and came back and God started over with Noah, Noah being that type of the Christ, if you will, the one who lived righteous in a time where nobody did. The, the whole earth was submerged in water. The gospel preaches even then and speaks of the revelation of the resurrection. Why? Because we're buried with Christ and we come out of the water to walk in the new and the living way. What is the resurrection? The resurrection, power of God, enables us to live for Christ here and now in these mortal bodies. Funny enough, who's, who's uh, got it all nailed down? Who's perfect in the house today? Raise your hand if you're perfect. And you're thinking, well, if that's the case, then why am I not perfect now? Have you ever heard of the scripture that says that in your weakness, he's made strong? See, in, in that, another translation says, in your weakness, he's made perfect. Because it's not you. It's the grace of God working in you that leads you in this life so that others can see. See, where the, where the world tends to look at members of the church and their shortcomings as being hypocrites, we understand we're just a bunch of sinners that's been saved by the grace of God. I've often been in that place where people want to talk about the church that way, and I think it's the bride of Christ. It's not perfect, but he says he will make her perfect. It's not spotless, but he says he will make her spotless. It's not without wrinkle, but he says that he will make his church without wrinkle. Here's what I know. If Jesus could come and hang on a cross for a bunch of people that didn't deserve it, but simply because God loved his creation so much that in our fallen state, he would give the one who is perfect and precious to him, I think God makes very clear how precious each and every one of us are to him by giving his most prized relationship, his most prized son to die on a cross. And as it declared there, that he's the first fruit of the resurrection. See, God didn't do that looking at us and saying, I'm giving my son up, I'll never get him back. God stepped out of heaven into mortal flesh through the way he designed the earth. God could have from heaven just said, okay, I'm going to do it this way. But because God's not a liar, the Bible says he's not a man that he should lie, because he's not a liar, when he set things in motion and established creation the way that he did it, God wasn't going to in turn then violate the way he created things to then go down and rescue mankind. Instead, God would subject himself to do the very thing that mankind has always been trying to do with God. And that is, get, let me get God down under me and me get over God. Let me bring him down so that I can get up. And the reality is, is you, God, you don't need to bring God down. He brought himself down as low, and by the way, to the grave. He brought himself down to the lowest parts of the earth, the Bible says, because it was in the lowest parts of the earth when he was in the grave. So we know he died on the cross. Part of this message, this Easter changes everything. But he was buried in a grave. And the Bible says that he went in the lower parts of the earth, Hades, and he confronts the devil, and what does he do? Anybody? He takes the keys of hell and death. 
death, where is your sting? Jesus removes the sting of death for all who would place their faith in him. This is the part I'm talking about when I say Colossians says that for us, when we die, we pass from this life to that one and death is swallowed up by life. We don't taste the sting of death. We don't sense it because Jesus did. Easter changes everything for us. And then, of course, the revelation of the resurrection. He suffered on that cross. He was buried in the grave. But he knew that God was going to raise him from the dead. Because the Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm approaching the cross, I'm not really thinking about, too, like, this is going to be joyful. How was he joyful? The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It's just like for us. Why do we as believers endure to, to live a life for God and to battle and to struggle with this current life and in this flesh and deal with those things? Why do we wrestle with that? Why not just go off and do? Because we know that for the joy that's set before us, that we need to live our lives for Christ. Christ lived his life for us. Christ gave his life for us. And Christ rose again from the dead. He was resurrected from the dead for us. We struggle. Here's the deal. What did he do? He bore his cross. We read that in John. He, he carried his cross, right? Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he says that for all of us, that we are to pick up our cross and follow him. We have a cross to bear as well. Well, no, Jesus paid the price. He paid the price for your eternal life. But make no mistake about it. Each and every one of us feel it every day. If I'm going to live for Jesus, I feel like I'm hanging on a stinking cross. Huh? My flesh screams to live for God. I should say that a different way. My spirit screams to live for God. My flesh screams not to. My flesh wants to do its own thing while my spirit desires to serve God. And what I've got to do is I've got to crucify my flesh and its passions thereof. If I put my flesh under by bearing my cross that, okay, I don't feel like reading the Bible. Who doesn't feel like reading the Bible sometimes? But I'm going to. And my flesh might scream a little bit, but by the time I'm done, my spirit man is stronger and my flesh is getting in order. My flesh is saying, okay, we're going that way. He's stronger than me. How many of you know, unless you bind the strong man, you can't plunder the house. Which is your stronger man? Let the spirit man in you be filled with Christ. Res uh, recognize the power of the resurrection. That if you walk in your faith in Christ and live for him, that your flesh will actually be put under as you bear that cross. And what ends up happening is you start looking more like Jesus. Why? Because you become joyful. You become joyful about living for God, even though it's painful. It becomes joyful to live for God, even though there's a sense of pain to this stuff. It is a joy to live for God. Let me give you a few things as we close.
wanted to give you some good, solid uh, validation of the revelation of, re of the resurrection. By the way, you know, most religions recognize that the soul, most religions recognize that the soul will live on. But they do not acknowledge that, that there will be a body. And the Greeks, in, in their heresy, taught that the body would not be resurrected. And this is why Paul was addressing that. If there's no resurrection, then what we're living is a farce. There is a resurrection of the body. It won't be the same as we are now. It'll be different. It'll be like Jesus. Who wants to walk through walls? That's one of my first things. Because when Jesus walked through the wall, I'm thinking to myself, dude, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, I want, to, I want to experience those kind of things, if you will. But here's, here's the fact of the resurrection, if you will, the revelation of the resurrection taught in the Old Testament. We find in the Old Testament the affirmation taught of the resurrection. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. Uh, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whoa, in my flesh, yeah. In my flesh I shall see God. Listen to this one. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness, Psalm 17, 15. The psalmist penned that. When I awake with thy likeness, uh, he was speaking of awake, you know, those who sleep will awake or will rise at the sound of the, the trumpet of the, of the archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first. That out of that sleep, he'll awake in God's likeness. And here's another way it was taught by prophecy. It was affirmed in this way. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. For thy dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead, Isaiah 26, 19. By typology, events such as Joseph's deliverance. Remember when Joseph's brothers threw him into the pit. You remember that? They threw him into the pit. What were they wanting to do with him? They wanted to kill him, right? Judah, right, whose name means praise, by the way, Judah is like, no, we can't do that. And they sell him as a slave. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And if you remember, sin is re referred to as a yoke of slavery. Jesus took upon himself that slavery of sin so that we would be free. Because the Bible declares it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? And then by uh, example in the Old Testament, it contains uh, examples of persons who were raised from the dead. How many of you remember the, the widow whose son died? That story. You remember Elisha? And, and he comes along and, and uh, the widow's son has, has died and Elisha goes in and, and, and the boy's laying there dead in his room and uh, he goes in and he just, he just lays down on top of the boy, right? Just lays right on top of him. Elijah does this. Lays on top of him. And warmth entered his body, and boom, Elijah got up, and the boy got up and uh, come out alive, resurrected him from the dead. How many of you remember Elisha was the guy who followed Elijah around? And Elisha died and was buried in a grave, and there's some guys there carrying another body to put in the grave, 
not in his grave, but in another grave. And they're going along, and then they see a bunch of terrorists, that, you know, going across the, you know, countryside, and they're scared. They're afraid for their own life. So you know what they do? They throw the body into Elisha's tomb and take off running. And to their surprise, the guy comes strolling back into town. Why? Because they threw him in there. He landed on Elijah's bones and rose from the dead. And uh, it wasn't just his spirit that came out of there. It wasn't just his soul. His body came out of the grave as well. In the New Testament, by affirmation, it says, uh, so also the resurrection of dead by affirmation in the New Testament is taught this way. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And that's 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 43, which is a part of the passage we've been looking at today. By prophecy, marvel not, this is Jesus, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. John 5, 28 through 29. That one puts a little chill up your spine, right? Like, mm. resurrected unto life or resurrected unto damnation. Everybody will be resurrected. Question is, what's your destination in that final moment? The New Testament also contains examples of persons raised from the dead. They were not uh, just resurrections such as will occur at the second coming uh, and at the, the last judgment, for they later uh, died and will experience the final resurrection as well. These are a little bit different, but it shows that God has the power over death and to quicken our mortal bodies. Somebody say amen. He has that power and can manifest that power. Perfect example of the New Testament is Lazarus. Lazarus is dead for how many days, someone? How many? He'd been in there for how long? Four days. He now stinketh. <laughs> King James Version. He stinketh. And that's what they said to Jesus. Jesus like, roll the stone away. And they're like, Lord, he stinketh. It's not going to smell good when you open that thing up. What's Jesus declare? He's the resurrection and he's the life. And his simple prayer to the Father was this. I thank you that you always hear me. Lazarus, come forth. It's not the amount of our words. It's the level of our faith in God when we use our words. It's the level in, uh, of our faith in God, honestly, when we use his words. When his words become our words and that's what's coming out of us and we have faith in them, they have the power to create the resurrection of power of God. The revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power of God at work in us, not one day to come, but the power of God at work in us now. Easter changes everything for us if we place our faith in God and the work that he did through his son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. Amen. Listen, we're going to receive communion this morning. Uh, in, in closing the service and going home to spend the rest of the day with our families. And I don't think there's any more fitting way to acknowledge what Jesus did than to follow exactly how he said to remember him. Amen?
And in uh, Luke 22 is where Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples. And they're going to pass the elements out to you. So if we could go ahead and do that. Part of the reason we have the chairs set up this way is we realized that people were having to pass the elements over top of each other. And we thought eventually somebody's going to dump a bunch of grape juice on someone else. So when we pass communion out, we'll set the chairs up this way to uh, make sure that we don't get anybody wet. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the walk on the road to Emmaus. And there's something about thinking of Jesus as the living word. The Bible declares him to be the living word. And he had joined himself to two disciples after his resurrection. Excuse me. And they still thought he was dead. They hadn't come to the revelation of the resurrection. And they still thought he was dead. And he talked with them all the way. And they considered him a stranger. Asked him if he was a stranger. The only stranger in the land. Because he said, you know, what are you talking about? And they said, don't you know Jesus of Nazareth? He, he was crucified. He was buried. And this is the third day. And he said he'd rise again, but, but he's, he's dead. And those disciples, as they declared that to Jesus, he said something to them that was very interesting. Oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke concerning the Messiah. And everything that the prophets spoke about the Messiah was that he would suffer on a, he would die on a cross, that he would be buried, but that he would raise from the dead. They just didn't believe or did not have a revelation of the resurrection. And it was staring them in the face. When they got uh, far enough along that they got to the home of the disciples, Jesus made like he was going to go on. He wasn't even like, hey, so we're we going into your house. Jesus made like he was just going to keep on going and then we're going to go home. And I believe that's Jesus' way of respecting our free will. He does respect our free will. He'll let us, if we want to go to hell, we can choose to go to hell. But Jesus died on a cross so that we can have eternal life and go to heaven. He made like he would go on. And it was when the disciples said, come in, it's late at night. Come in and stay with us. They get in and they set bread on the table. And for all the scriptures that Jesus shared with them, 480 prophecies plus about the Messiah and all he'd have to suffer and, and endure and fulfill. In all the expounding he did with them, it was the moment that Jesus took bread on that table. He just took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And the Bible says their eyes were opened. That it's Jesus. All of a sudden, they had a revelation of the resurrection, that Jesus was alive. He's not dead laying in a grave. And he disappeared from their sight. I find it interesting that the order of breaking bread, something he established, and they knew that when he did it, that's how they recognized who he was. And I believe that when Jesus asked us to remember him this way, there is, it's not the elements themselves, but it's the faith we place in Christ in his request for us to remember him. There's something about us recounting what he did for us that causes faith to grow in our hearts. Amen. So does everybody have their elements?
And in Luke 22, this is what uh, it declares that, and he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. There's that order again. And gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken for our sake. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And Jesus, we thank you that you did Shed your blood, not just to cover sin, but to wash it away. And we receive your grace this morning that just purifies and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and places us in right standing with the Father. You are beloved in our hearts, and we adore you today. Easter has truly changed everything for us. The resurrection changed everything for us. Your work, Lord changed everything for us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen.